right, well, good evening gathering. How you guys doing? Doing all right? All right, all right. Well, hey, uh, welcome back. If you've been with us this, this whole series, if this is your first night joining us, man, I couldn't have uh, thought of a better night than tonight for you to either join us here in person or online. So thank you for joining us. We're just glad that you would uh, give us an hour or so of your, of your evening, of your week. Um, because like what Jay just sang and what our team just played is, is our goal here at the gathering is not just to create, let me just say it the way I, th- I think it, we, we don't want to create just a Christian country club. That's not what we are here for, to do. Um, because you, you can find community pretty much anywhere. You just have to go and find people. Like this community um, is, is really geared for young adults who we want to help grow in their faith. And if there is no faith, which you might be that person tonight, maybe you don't believe in Jesus Christ, we wanna help you find Jesus. Um, because in Jesus, there is life. And uh, in Jesus, there is real hope, not a a facade. There is real hope. And so that's what this whole whole ministry is about. It's not a Christian country club. It's more of a battleship to to, uh, work through life together. We are on a mission uh, to walk with Jesus and bring people along with us. And so if you're here, thanks for uh, coming or bringing a friend or whatever. Um, Guys, we're going to be in a book tonight that I don't think we've maybe been in in a long time. We're gonna be in the book of Titus, all right? We're gonna be in the book of Titus. If you don't know where that is, it's toward, if you look at your Bible, it is to the far right, all right? It is after First and Second Timothy. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, all right? So it's right in between First uh, and Second Timothy, and then uh, Philemon and Hebrews, it's right there. So as, as I kind of get started, you may wanna flip there, open your phone, get to Titus chapter three. But tonight, um, we're gonna continue our Influencer series. And this series, uh, just really briefly, was, was birthed out of the conversations that we have with you, young adults. Um, a, a, a series that was birthed out of just watching the world that we live in is that we, whether we want to believe it or not, whether we um, are listening or not, we are being influenced. And so we thought, well, let's talk about the voices um, that are most likely to influence us. Um, and so we started week, week one with, with the, the goat, right? The greatest of all time, Jesus the greatest influencer of all time, changed everything. The calendar was changed to match his birthday. I don't know how special you are or what celebrities we may have, but no celebrities change the calendar, all right? And so Jesus is the greatest of all time. He changes not just our today, but he changes our tomorrow and he changes our eternity. He is the greatest influencer of all time. And then following up, we, uh, we talked a little bit about his arch nemesis, uh, the second greatest influencer of all time, Satan, the devil, in that with one question in Genesis, he changed the trajectory of humanity. He asked, did God really say? And the answer to that question now has ripple effects thousands of years later. And we feel it every day. We feel it, we see it, we hear it. Our relationships reflect it. Our culture celebrates it. It is the fallen, broken nature of our world. And so Satan is an influencer. And so we talked about him second week. And then last week we talked about one of his greatest tools and that is the influence of fear. That we we all have fear, whether it's of spiders or the dark or being known or being found out. We all struggle with fear. And so we look at this idea of, are we going to fear the Lord who is trustworthy and good or are we gonna fear circumstances that are constantly changing and unpredictable? 
And our which one, we're gonna surrender to one fear. Um, and so this, tonight we're ironically gonna talk about um, a topic that I, at least I know growing up was kind of a hopeless topic. Um, it was a topic that, that would really um, kind of breed a lot of uh, guilt, a lot of shame, because it was one of those topics that I couldn't change, and that is our past. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you've heard this topic talked about. I don't know how you have, what, you know, what churches you may have grown up in hearing about, or maybe you've never heard anybody talk about our past. But what I want to do, what I hope to do, is to bring hope to a hopeless conversation. Because there is hope, even in the things of our past, that we may not want anyone to know. The, 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 the things in our past that actually do keep us enslaved and imprisoned, whether it's the choices we actually made, or maybe it was other people's choices that have forever changed your life. There is hope. It's all throughout scripture. And in Revelation 21, Jesus himself says, I have come to make all things new. I will wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more death. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow for I am making all things new. And that includes our past. Because whether we want to believe it or not, God knows our past. He knew it before we were ever even a thought in anyone's mind. And we're gonna walk through the hope that we have in Christ even in the midst of a past that maybe we can't change. And so as I prepared this sermon, I thought, okay, what's the perfect story in the Bible to talk about the past. And as I flipped through uh, all the stories that just immediately came to mind, um, you know, woman at the well, um, Peter, be, you know, denying Christ, and, and then he's rein, reinstated by Jesus. And maybe it's the, the man at, at, at the pool of Bethesda and who's, who's par paralyzed and Jesus heals him. And, and he says, do you want to be well, right? Like this weird question to a paralyzed guy. Like, yes, of course, right? And, and then what I realized is like, almost every story of Jesus' encounter with people is a story about him redeeming their past. And so we serve a savior that doesn't just save us for a future, but he is working in and amongst us both today and yesterday. And so I wanna bring hope to what could be a hopeless topic. And the, iron, the irony also is that we, we land on, on this uh, topic this week of our past and I thought two things, literally just as I was worshiping, I was like, you know what, the, the interesting thing about this topic is it is one of sa Satan's greatest tactics is to keep you enslaved to your past, to remind you, right? We talked about Satan being the accuser, he that he accuses us of our, of our past. And one of our greatest fears is people actually knowing our past. The things that we have done, the things that have happened to us, the way we responded to something, the way that we, what we looked at and what we said and where we went and who we hung out with and what we engaged with, that's one of our greatest fears is to actually be known. And so we're gonna talk about this tonight from Hebrew, or Titus chapter three, verse three through eight. So let's, let's, uh, let's read. And so the reason I didn't pick a, a narrative from the gospels is because uh, Paul is writing to his uh, son in the faith. This is not his biological son. It's his, his co-laborer in, uh, in, in the faith. And so he's writing Titus a letter. He lives on the island of Crete. 
and he is uh, planting churches there, and he's writing this letter to instruct him on how, how to do things, all right? How to pick elders and deacons and how to run the church and all this stuff. And then in the last chapter of this letter, we read in chapter three, or verse three, it says this. Paul writes, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Verse four, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous, the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, Titus, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable or beneficial for everyone. This is a wonderful text. Paul, the father in the faith, is writing his son, saying, these are the things I want you to stress to your people. The congregants of your church, the elders and leaders of your church, I want you to stress these things. And one of the things right off the top he stresses is their past. Follow me back in verse three. Paul writes, at one time, we too were in the past foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Ugh. <laughs> like, thanks, Paul. Thanks for the reminder. Appreciate the letter. Feel really fired up now. But it doesn't end there and we'll get to it. But my first point does come from verse three and it's this, that we all have a past. I know you're like, man, Andy, that's a really creative title for your first point. Yes, we all have a past. We all have those things, right? And, and, and Paul throws out, I mean, he covers the whole spectrum. Have we done foolish things in the past? 100%. I have been a fool in my life. We'll get to a story where I was being foolish in a little bit. Have we been disobedient? Absolutely. I have been purposefully rebellious and disobedient in my life. I know what God would have for me, and I said, I'm gonna do the other thing. Have I been deceived? Yes. Have I been enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? Yes. That's our whole world. We are enslaved to passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I feel like Paul's writing us in 2021. This is the world that we live in. And so I, we all have a past. And like I said earlier, it's either a, a past that we chose, a path, a past that we chose to do some things, or for many of us, things were done to us or said to you that have now colored your life. And it comes with you every day and every week, and it follows you. Something that was said or done to you in the past. And so it, it's both. It's the things that we choose to do, and it's the things that other, th other people choose that affect us. And so the question I wanna ask on this first point that we all have asked is, how does your past influence you, influence you? Do you know that? Have you ever stopped to think, how does my past influence my today? Because we all have it, which means it's, all, it's, it's going to influence us. 
Like what, what is it gonna propel you to, to be or to do or to think? Like when I think of the word propel, I think of a boat and a propeller and it is, it is created for one reason, right? It is to move something, a boat, from one place to another. And so our past is a propeller and it is going to move you one way or the other. Like there is no, like there's just, there's no, when, when we're talking about our past, like we can't not be influenced by it. Like there, you, I guarantee you, if we had some phrases, if I was like, what did your mom or dad say to you growing up that you will never forget? We probably all have something or a coach or a teacher. Like one of the, one of the, the things that my parents said with the greatest of intention, um, but I took it with all the insecurity you possibly could, was Andy, we're proud of you for your grades, but we know you can do better. That will never leave my mind because the way I heard it was, you're stupid, work harder. That's how I took it. Like, they, like we're proud of you, and they were. Like, my parents were wonderful parents, but they said some things that followed me, and they started to rewrite my story. And so my whole life, I deal with this hidden insecurity of being dumb, not smart enough. Was that their intention? Absolutely not. But we all have a past. And so when I thought about two stories that illustrate this idea of propelling us, where is it propelling us? I think of Adam and Eve, right? They made a choice. They made a choice to, to ignore God's instruction and they made a foolish choice to listen to the enemy. And what did that propel them to do? It propelled them to hide from God, right? Their choice said, I'm going to hide because I don't, I, I, oh no. And so they went and hide and God walks through the garden and says, where are you? Who told you that you were naked that you would have to hide? Right, so, so sometimes our past will propel us away from the Lord or some of us are like the prodigal son who made some poor choices, who took part in the pleasures and the passions of this world, but he got to a place where he was desperate and his past bad decisions propelled him back to the father. And so our past does one or the other. Do you know which one your past is propelling you to? Is it pushing you to God or pushing you away from the Lord? Because we may hide because we're not convinced that the kindness of God is actually real and that he will receive us. Or that God actually has the, the, the goodness to redeem and renew us. Or maybe we hide from God because we're, we're somebody in your past who is supposed to care for you, who is supposed to be kind to you, took advantage of you and hurt you and wounded you. And so you're not sure if you want to trust again. I get that. And I think God does too. You see, our past, which we all have, will propel us either to the Lord or away from him. And our enemy will always be that voice that says, go hide. Always. Every time, 100%. Satan would love for us to deal with our past in isolation and in hiding because that's where he goes to town. All right, and so I wanna encourage you, if that's your story, let's start turning the boat and let our past propel us to a good and gracious and kind God who loves you and cares for you, just like the father and the prodigal son. So at the end of verse three, you know, right, he goes through this litany of just yuck. At one time we were, foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
And I had an aha moment this morning. That between verse three and verse four is a monumental canyon of the difference between world, the ways of the world and the hope of the gospel. All right, let me explain this. Verse three in Titus chapter three, this is the way of the world. This is what we get advertisements for. This is what we get pushed to. This is what we're drawn to, right? It's the passions and the pleasures. It's the foolishness. It's the things that we know we shouldn't do, but we do. It's, it's Paul in Romans seven. Why do I do the things I don't wanna do? The things I don't wanna do, I do, right? This is, this is, this is the world. Go do all the things. Feel all the feelings. Pursue all the pleasure. Go after it. Get more and get more. And at the end of verse three, there's nothing for the world. This is the hope. This is the hope of the world. Passions and pleasures, that's it. And I, if you're anything like me, you know at the end of that road, there is no peace and there is no joy. It's just regret and guilt and emptiness. And so what the world tells you is, oh, you did it wrong. Go back to the start and recycle the process. Do it harder, do it different, do it in a different place with different people, go. Pursue more pleasure, different pleasure with different people in different locations. Just recycle the process. That, like the hope of our world is verse three. That's it, and that's it. But there is a wonderful shift in verse four. Because this is gospel hope. This is where Paul says, this is who we were. And then he says in verse three, follow me, or verse four, but when the kindness of the, and the love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. That is the gospel good news, is that it's not, hey, go try it a different way, be better, do more, work harder, pursue more pleasure, and just, you're just doing it wrong. Pursue it differently and you'll, and you'll figure it out. That's the, that's the rat race of our world. Do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. But God, in his loving kindness, calls us to a totally different path. And it's the good news. It says, but we were once this, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, Jesus, appeared, he saved us not because of our righteous things we had done, right? That's the essence of being saved. We don't do it. We need a rescue, right? No one saves someone in a lake or a pool because you're like, man, you're a fantastic swimmer. You're doing great, let me jump in and save you. That, 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 no. You get saved and rescued because we're drowning. And some of us tonight are drowning in the regrets and the shame of our past. And Satan would love to keep us there. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And so my second point tonight is that our past points us to God's kindness and love. Our past, all the stuff, right? All the foolishness, all of the mistakes, all of the regrets, they don't imprison Paul. They point Paul to God's goodness and his kindness that he has saved us despite our own activities. Right, it's that rescue story. We, guys, we love a good rescue story. Almost every great movie and every great song and every great TV show has something to do with a rescue story. 
where there is someone in peril and someone or a group of people come and they rescue at great expense to themselves. Like one of the greatest movie you know, franchises in the history of the world, like within the first book, you knew where this was going. Like you knew how Harry Potter was going to end, right? Someone needed to defeat the enemy. It's the, it's the story that's within us. It's that story of rescue, that desire to be redeemed and saved, and Jesus has done it. But it's not a rescue story if we don't know the trouble we're in. Let me say that one more time. You don't know you need rescuing until you know the trouble you're in. Both personally, both as a human, a human race, that we are drowning in this world trying to, to scrap together some sort of life and some sort of hope with pleasure and foolishness and, and whatever. We're trying to just build something to give us meaning, to give us purpose, and to give us hope. But the rescue story, we have to know the trouble we're in because the story doesn't focus on the trouble very long, right? When you watch the news and you hear a great rescue story, right? Maybe it's one of those floods that we see and the, the helicopter comes over and all of a sudden this, like, this dude or this gal drops out of the helicopter on a rope to grab the, the, you know, the, the victim and their cat and dog and they bring them to safety. We're like, yes, my faith in humanity is saved. Now, you've seen those memes. You've seen the videos. My faith in humanity has been saved. Well, we need more than a helicopter with a hook. We need a savior, and this is what Jesus has done. You see, the prodigal came home because of the kindness of his father. If you're not familiar with the story, he is, he's gone off, he's rebelled, he's spent all of his money on pleasures and, and the lust of the flesh, and he's done all the things, he's done all the partying, and then he's got nothing, and all his friends leave him. All the things that he had put his hope in are gone, and he has nothing, and he's eating pig food. And then he remembers that even my father's servants eat. Even my dad's kind to of the servant, so surely I can come home as his son. And so his past decisions pushed him to go back to the father. Not out of guilt and shame, but out of the kindness of the father. And some of us need to retrain our, our mindset that, that Jesus did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. But we think it's safer just to, and more comfortable to just stay here hidden, eating pig's food, than go back to God and say, I need help, I need rescuing. And so we see this idea that, the, that our past points us to God's kindness and love. You see, we can't change our past, right? We can't go back in time, but we can change how we look at the past. Paul looks and says, this is what we used to do. But when the Savior appeared, right, he sees his past through the lens of Jesus. And so it's not hopeless, it's hopeful. And so another question I wanted to ask you is, do you know the kindness and love of God? Like for real, do you know the kindness and love of God? And the reason I ask simple questions like that is because they're not that simple. I lived a long life of faith not believing God was actually good. I lived a long time actually not, not actually believing God was kind. 
I was that kid that was just always worried I was gonna get caught. And so if I could hide it, I wouldn't get caught. And what a wonderful trick this, that our, our enemy uses. That he would convince us that God is not good, that he's not kind, when it's his very kindness that leads us to repentance. Like it's, it's just, it's so backwards. Because you see, we tend to identify ourselves with our past. Like our identity is connected to our, our choices, our mistakes, our regrets. And there's always that tape running in our head, right? Oh, but remember when he did that? I don't know what that tape is for you, but God in his kindness and love, he redeems our past. Follow me, middle of verse five. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified, made right by his grace, not of our own doing, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let me break it down. He saved us so that we might become heirs and have the hope of eternal life. That's why he saved you. That's why he saved me. That's why he died on the cross, that we might have hope despite our past. He could redeem it. He already did it on the cross of Christ. He has redeemed all the regrets, all the mistakes, all the foolishness, all the deceit, all of the lusts. He's redeemed it. He said, I will pay the penalty. Come, be free from the enslavement to those things. And he calls us out. And so my third point is that because of Jesus, we are no longer identified by our past. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we are new in Christ, right? He says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It means you have been born again. That's where that phrase comes from. You've been born anew. And he has poured out generously the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ so that you are made right by his grace, not because you earned it, not because we deserved it, but by his grace, you've been made right with God that we might become a part of his family, heirs. You get this? God did not send Jesus to catch you. He sent Jesus to adopt you. To say, I want to be with them. I want them to be with me because that is what's best for them because I love them and I care for them. That's you and that's me. You see, we, we live our lives with tags and identities that we've carried with us throughout our life. Like you may not be like, I would guess most of you are aware of the identities and the, and the, and the labels we carry, right? I told you earlier, like that, that idea of being stupid, right? Like my parents gave me, they were encouraging me. Like they were right. I wasn't applying myself in high school. <laughs> like I just wanted to stay eligible for the game, right? Like that's all, like, so they were, they knew what they were doing, but I took it the wrong way. There was another moment in my life. If you've been around, you've heard this before but I wanna share it again because this is, what, this is what happens, all right? So I was involved in some major foolishness when I was in middle school, major foolishness. We're on a youth group trip and me and my best buddy and a couple guys are sitting in the back of the bus and we think as a seventh grader, it's a fantastic idea to give a numerical grade to every female in our youth group according to how good looking they are, right? I told you. I'm with Paul, we have engaged in foolishness, okay? Like, but this is what we did. And we thought this would be a good idea. 
Oh my gosh. And not only that, we'll then share the results with our friends. Did not go well, did not go well. And so eventually word got around the bus, feelings were hurt very badly, which I'm sure is, I hope they're listening to this message, God can redeem the past, all right? Um, and he forgives. And so we're sitting there and we pull into where we were, we were getting and, and uh, everybody gets off the bus, except this guy. My youth pastor and three other like youth group sponsors hold me back. And they sit me down in the front row. And you know, like I'm, I, I had a pretty heavy conscience back in the day. God saved me, like he gifted me with a, a pretty heavy conscience. Thank you, Lord. And they go into this 20 minute message about how disgusting and perverted I am. Like my youth pastor, to my face, with other adults there said, Andy, you're a pervert for doing that. I don't think so, it was just foolishness. But that identity for years and years and years stuck with me. And every time there was a temptation for some sort of sexual immorality, whatever it is, whether it was porn or looking at a girl or watching a movie and rewinding a scene, you know, whatever it was, that voice, Andy, they were right, you're a pervert. That's who you are. And here's the wonderful thing about the gospel is he redeems our past. Was it foolish? Absolutely. Do I regret it? 100%. But that's not who I am, that's what I did. Huge difference. You need to hear that, someone tonight needs to hear that. It's not what you do that identifies you. It's Jesus who has adopted you into his family as an heir and said, I have saved you. I have rescued you, right? When we see a rescue story, and they interview the person, they have, a, they have a new identity as the rescued one, right? It says their name on the bottom of the screen, rescued from fire or whatever it is. And so we can bring our past to Jesus. And he says, I'm gonna give you a new identity. I have saved you. I have redeemed you and you're in my family. Let's move. That's no longer who you are. You see, he takes our messes and he turns them into a message that points people to Jesus. Because one of the most frequent ministries I have as a pastor of almost 20 years is talking with guys about sexual sin. It's the most reoccurring theme that I have in my life as a pastor is talking with guys, working through confession, helping them come to a place where they can overcome it. You know why? Because Jesus helped me and he freed me and he forgave me. And so I can now become the messenger of grace and hope to other guys who are being destroyed by the sin of sexual sin. And so Jesus takes our past and he no longer identifies us by it, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Your past is your past and it is forgiven. God will redeem it and he will heal you through it and then he will move you into new life. That is the hope we have in Jesus. We can't let our past activity 
or others' past activity identify us. Instead, like Paul, we look to God who gives us a new identity because of his activity through Jesus Christ. It's the crosses that you see on the side of the room. That's the identity we have in Jesus, forgiven and redeemed. But what Satan loves to do is he loves to keep us, he calls us by a name that we no longer should respond to because it is paid for. Verse eight, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you, uh, you to stress these things, right? Paul's saying, Pastor Titus, I want you to stress what I just told you, that we have been saved by grace into a new family, right? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are good and beneficial for everyone. And so my last point tonight is that our past doesn't determine our present or our future. Our past doesn't determine our present or our future. Guys, this, we, like, this, is, this is a real thing. That because this happened or I did this, that's who I am. It identifies us and then it forces our future. I don't know what the lies we believe are. I know the lies I've believed is that, God, I'm not good enough, therefore I can't be used. God, you don't know where I've been, so how can you possibly forgive me and, then, and love me and forgive me? And so our past doesn't determine our present. Like in John chapter eight, there's a wonderful story. These are, this is one of those stories I looked at. It's the woman caught in adultery, right? They bring her in front of Jesus, throw her on the ground and say, hey, we caught her in the act. What do you say? And it's that famous story where, where Jesus uh, starts writing in the sand, right? And he, and, and he says, you who have not sinned, cast the first stone. And it says the older men left first. You know why? Because when we, the older you get, the more familiar with our, our, our weaknesses we are. And, it's, and it says, Jesus looked up and he asked the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In that story, Jesus doesn't even bother to mention her past. He doesn't, like, he's like, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, meaning this is who you were. I do not condemn you, now go, but go differently. Go and sin no more. And so here's how we go differently, right? This is how we do this. Number one, do we acknowledge it? The past, the hurts, the foolishness, the lusts we've chased, the decisions we made? Absolutely, we acknowledge it. Like this, this whole passage, three through eight, is like one big practice in how to biblically do confession. Right, he, he's confessing here. This is who we were. This is what we've done. Insert specifics, right? So Paul's confessing here, and that's the reason we confess, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your past to one another. Pray for each other so you will be healed. I'll never forget these two verses. First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. So if you confess to the Lord, he is faithful to forgive you. And so as a kid, I was like, oh, 100% all day long. I will talk to God privately in my mind alone so that no one else knows and I will be forgiven. Whew, guilt gone, right? But what I didn't realize is that I wasn't practicing confession. And so I may have been forgiven, but I was walking around wounded 
and enslaved. I was not healed. And James, the brother of Jesus, comes along and says, hey, pray for one, or confess your sins to one another. Live in open honesty. Live in, 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 in the light. Bring what's in the dark to the light. Confess to one another. Pray for each other and you will be healed. And so it's a you and the Lord and you and your community, a trusted friend, a pastor, whoever, right? Because when we, when, when we do this, when we acknowledge our past, the things that we regret, the things that, that we're shameful of, we're healed from our wounds, right? It allows us to heal. It also allows us to have empathy towards others who have a past. It's when we don't deal with our past that we can be judgmental about your past. And so it allows us to heal when we confess. It allows us to have, be empathetic and compassionate to one another. And then as Paul said, it allows us to see the goodness of God. Guys, think about this. Without confession, without admitting that we're drowning, we can't see the rescuer. We can't see the glory and the goodness of the gospel if we don't know that we are in need of rescue. And so, yes, we acknowledge it. And then we deal with it. Yes, that's the next step. We first we acknowledge it, then we deal with it. Right? We deal with our past. Like there might be some things that we need to take some actionable steps on to say, you know what? That was jacked up. <laughs> I, need to, I, need to, I need to find some, some things to, to deal with that. And that could be a million things. That could just be simply be, hey, I need to bring some other people into this with me. I need to confess. Or maybe it's, hey, you need to go see a counselor, someone who's professionally trained to help you work through and unpack your past. On Thursday night here at Crossings and, and, and all over town, they have this program called CR, Celebrate Recovery. Amen. The healthiest people in our church come to church on Thursday nights. You know why? Because they have acknowledged that they have a hurt, they have a hang up and they have a habit and they need to deal with it. They're light years ahead of so many people that just come on Sundays and they're playing the game. And so we acknowledge the past. We deal with it, however that looks. And if you don't know, come find me, come find Oakley, come find Paige. Like we will help you figure out how do we best step forward. So we acknowledge it, yes. We deal with it, yes. We live in it, no. We don't marinate in the past. Like we don't sit and soak in it. Like if you, look at, if you look at Titus 3, 3 through 8, about 20% of that passage is dealing with the past. 80% of it is dealing with the hope we have in Christ. And so yes, we acknowledge it. Yes, we deal with it. But we do not sit in it. We do not relive it. We go differently. Go and sin no more. We start making actionable moves in a different direction. We repent. We turn and then he ends with this, this kind of call to the church in Crete. He says, be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are good and beneficial for everyone. You see, our personal faith as Christians cannot stay personal. It becomes public. When we follow Jesus, our personal faith becomes a public faith so that they may benefit from my faith in Jesus. Good works that encourage fellow believers and good works that bless those outside the faith by giving them an accurate picture of the love and grace of God and his offer of free, the free gift of salvation through Jesus. 
And so our personal faith becomes a public faith for the good of those around us. And so we don't live and wallow and, and soak in our past. We say, God, this is my past. Now turn to Jesus and let's go. And let's go differently. So what do we do with this? I just wanna, I basically have two questions and, and, and uh, a challenge to you. Number one, ask yourself, is your past propelling you to or away from God? Is your past propelling you to the Lord or are you Adam and Eve hiding? Like if I just hide long enough, no one will notice. That is not true, all right? Answer that question for yourself. Number two, I wanna challenge you to take a step to acknowledge and deal with your past. Let's, let's stop just assuming it'll, it'll eventually figure itself out and let's come together as a community, as friends, and say, hey, this is my past. I need help to deal with it. These are my hurts. These are my hangups. These are my habits. Let's go. And so that might be just, you know what? For you tonight, that might be just coming to the front or the back afterwards just asking for prayer. Like, hey, I got a pass. That's all you need to say. I got a pass. Would you pray for me? That's all you need. I'm not saying you got to divulge everything in your life to somebody you haven't met, but we can at least pray for one another so that we can find healing. Or maybe it's going to CR or going to a counselor. But I wanna challenge you to take one step to acknowledge and deal with your past. Because until we do that, it is gonna be really, really nearly impossible to see the redeeming power of Jesus in your life. Because we just hide it and we keep it in a nice little box that no one knows about, but we carry it with us every day. And then thirdly, I don't want to ever assume that everyone in this room is a Christian. I don't want to ever assume that everyone in this room is a follower of Jesus. And so my question to you is, do you know the kindness and the love of God? Do you actually know that there is a God who knows you, who sees you, who made you, and he wants you to be with him? but because of our sin, we have been separated from God and we are drowning in that. Maybe we're drowning in our decisions of the past. Maybe we're dr drowning in the things that have been done to us. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, that's our hope. That there's a God who knows you and loves you and sees your situation and says, I will take care of it. Romans 5.28 says, while we were yet sinners, before we even sinned, Christ died for you. That is the good news. That is the hope that we have that the world knows nothing of. They just say, go get drunk again and see if it works better this time. Go find cheap love somewhere and see if that works again. Jesus has come to me and you will find rest for your souls. So do you know the kindness and love of God? If you don't, man, we want, oh, this is a good night to know the kindness and love of God. For God so loved you that he sent his son on a rescue mission to find you and save you, that you would be rescued, redeemed, and renewed through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus, that you would be made new in Jesus, that you would have a new life through Jesus, and that you would have eternal life because of Jesus. He is our hope on the good days and the bad days. He's our hope in the past and in the future and in the present. Our prayer team will be down at the end. 
in the front when we're done tonight, let us pray with you. The worst that can happen is you get prayed for. That's the worst that could happen. Just say, I got a pass. Would you pray for me? I want to close by praying over us, Romans 15, 13. Because this is a Paul, a, a Paul prayer over the church in Rome. So if you bow with me, I'm going to pray this over us tonight. Lord, I pray that you, the God of all hope, would fill us completely with the joy and peace that only comes from you as we trust in Jesus. Would you fill us, Lord, not with experiences, but with joy and peace. God, I pray that then we would overflow with confidence and a hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, let us overflow in our confidence in you, not our ability to fix, not our ability to manipulate, but let our confidence and let our hope be in you. We praise things in your name, amen.